0: Well, welcome everyone to Chi Alpha. Are you guys excited to be here? Yeah. Me too. So we're just going to jump right in. No, no, you know, transition or anything. So I'm going to ask you guys a question, and I just want you all to shout out your answers, all right? Please, Like, no, no, no. So what is it that we are fighting for as, as a Chi Alpha, as Christians? What is it that we are fighting for? So just shout out some answers kingdom, spread his, spread his love, Christ, Jesus, that's always a good Sunday school answer, discipleship, community, okay, I like that, I don't know who said that, another word for a community is relationships, right, so everything you guys said, they're all true, all true guys, but tonight we're going to focus in on relationships, and as Christians, as a Chi Alpha... This is something that we fight for dearly. Guys, we we fight for relationships with people that are real, that are deep, right, that are not surface level, and we fight for a relationship with God that is intimate, that is, that is a committed relationship with God, a relationship that changes our lives, right? The relationships that we fight for are honestly what makes Chi Alpha different than so much of the campus. I mean... If you guys just think for a second why you're even here in the first place, it's probably because the person sitting next to you or around you brought you, or if it wasn't that, it's because you want to have a relationship with Jesus, right? It's a relationship that brought you here. And because we think relationships are a big deal, we decided to talk about them for four weeks, right? <laughs> um, so like last week, Katie talked uh, about dating, and that was really good, right? Yeah, super cool. I'm, I haven't dated in a long time, and it was still really good. Um, and then in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage, and we're going to be talking about friendship, but tonight, we get to talk about something a little bit more risque, and it is my absolute pleasure to talk about our topic tonight, which is sex and pleasure. You like my photo? It's pretty awkward. <laughs> Okay, so by show of hands, who has ever thought about sex? Come on, every hand has got to be up in this room. Every hand. Thank you. All right? Guys, tonight's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. Some of you are going to feel really, really uncomfortable, which just makes my heart happy. (laughs) So with that... Let's go ahead and get into our verse. Uh, Our verse tonight is a very short one, but it is a powerful verse. And it's Proverbs 25, verse 16. It's up on the screen, and it says, Have you found honey? If so, eat only what is sufficient, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Now, I love this verse, and it's such a cool verse because it talks about something that many Christians have no idea how to talk about, which is pleasure, Right. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this verse down into three parts and there's going to be three questions. And so I'm just going to give you the layout of my sermon right now. You guys know it from the get go. So the first part of the verse is, have you found honey? And the question that goes along with that is, is what you found a good thing? The second part, if so, eat only what is sufficient. Right. So what is the proper amount? And then the third part, lest you be filled with it and vomit. What happens when you have too much? Right, so you ask the first question, is it honey? If the answer is no, don't take it, right? But if the answer is yes, then you move on to the next questions. And what's cool about this breakdown is that you can follow this order with any type of pleasure, right? Like any, anything that's a pleasure, you can ask these questions. But tonight, we're gonna focus in on sex. So with that, gonna look more in depth at the first part, which is, have you found honey? Or in simpler words, is what you found honey? A good thing so asking all of you is sex a good thing what do y'all think yeah some of you are probably like come on Sean that's a silly question like of course sex is a good thing everyone knows sex is a good thing right but then you got to ask well where does everyone know that because most people they know it from movies and tv shows and the media but it's one thing if the world says sex is a good thing it's a totally different thing if God says it is So, what does God say? What what does God believe about sex? Does he think sex is a good thing? Is it honey? I heard a really sad story. I don't actually know the person, which is helpful, but it was a young Christian girl. Uh, She'd grown up in a Christian household her whole life, and she'd always had people telling her, you know, hey, don't have sex. Don't let that boy touch you. Don't don't be in a place that's, you know, you're going to do something dumb. Don't, don't, don't. And she'd always heard sex talked about in this, like, negative light. And so finally, she gets married, and she's so excited that she's finally going to have sex with her husband. But the wedding night comes, and she is unable to take off all her clothes until the room is completely dark. And this lasted for two years. Her husband never saw her naked for two years because she was so like she had such a, a misguided idea of sex because of what the church had told her. And so my question is, is this what God thinks of sex? Is this what it's supposed to be like? I'm here to tell you, no, that is not what God thinks. God, he thinks the complete opposite. Guys, is sex, honey? Is it a good thing to God? Absolutely it is. Sex, it is an incredible, beautiful, wonderful thing that God himself created. He made it, right? And it's not something to be shunned, down, shunned upon or looked down on, right? It is something to be celebrated. Y'all, I just got to say that sex is amazing. Like, like, it is amazing. And I'm not just talking from personal experience, Right? God knew what he was doing. Hey, come on, I'm married. If you guys are weirded out by that, maybe that story about the girl was true. But God knew what he was doing when he created sex, right? And I'm just going to take a little bit of time, and we're going to go into why sex is so cool. So sex is cool because it's more than just the physical, but everyone thinks of the physical first. So let's just just go there, right? So we're going to have ourselves a little bit of a biblical biology session. Okay? Because I want you guys to see just how cool sex is and the way that God created it. And just to warn you faint of heart, it's going to get uncomfortable. So we're going to start off with this. I'm going to have everyone in the room. uh, Heather's going to put a verse on the screen in a sec, and we're all going to read it together. All right? So it's Proverbs 5.18, and let's read it together. May a man rejoice in the wife of his youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy him always. May he ever be intoxicated with her love only. May her breasts satisfy him. Ladies, ladies in the room, I need you to take a look down. God gave you those for more than just feeding your children one day. Listen, this verse tells us that. I'm not being weird. Look. The Bible celebrates. I mean, it is emphatic that your breasts are for more than just feeding. They have a second purpose, which is to bring pleasure. Come on, listen. Okay, this isn't just the Bible that says this, all right? Biology says this. Did you guys know, hello, that in... (laughs) You walked in at a great time. Did you guys know that of all of the mammals in the entire world that human females are the only mammals that have permanently enlarged breasts. Listen, every other m- mammal, their breasts swell when they're feeding and then they go back. But females, human females, they don't they don't follow the trend. They're the only ones, right? And you say, "Well, well, why? Why?" Because God wanted sex to be fun and enjoyable. And listen, this is it's not just a pleasure for a man. Yes. Men find pleasure by touch and by sight, but there's also pleasure that women get. It's, it's the simple fact that you, when it, you guys know this, it's fun and it's pleasurable to bring someone else pleasure, right? And so the, it's the same way in this situation. And also just a shout out to you guys in the room, if you've ever felt like a bad person for finding breasts attractive, you're not a bad person. God made them that way. This doesn't give you a ticket to go stare or daydream. Don't do that. But you're not a bad person. Or how about we move on from the breasts and go to the baby makers, right? <laughs> Y'all, I was thinking about this the other day. Have you guys ever thought about the fact that sex is supposed to feel good? Like, like God made sex to feel good, and he wasn't playing when he made the hoo-ha and the ding dong he wasn't. Man, biologically, our reproductive organs, guys, they're on another level. From there. I know y'all are giggling. I just, it's the best way to talk about this. Now, if you guys have ever wondered, the biological reason why sex feels so good is because there are a crazy amount of highly sensitive nerve endings concentrated on a man's penis and a woman's clitoris. And yes, I just said those words Get over it. <laughs> and while it is true that a man has to reach a physical climax in order to reproduce, the same is not true for a woman. A woman's clitoris, guys, this is one of, in my opinion, this may be one of the craziest things God ever created. And it's, it's, it's incredible. This body part has more than twice the amount of nerve endings as a man's penis concentrated in an area significantly smaller and yet, biologically speaking, it serves no reproductive purpose. It's not necessary for a woman to feel pleasure, for children to happen. And yet, God goes and loads this organ with more nerving endings than it can possibly handle. And for what reason? Because he wanted sex to be fun. And not just for a woman, right? It's the same way. Yes, it brings a woman a physical pleasure that is probably unrivaled by anything. But it also brings a man pleasure because he just made his wife feel that good. Y'all, you can't tell me God didn't know what he was doing when he made it sex. He made sex to be physically pleasurable. And I know those terms were uncomfortable for you guys. But God knew what he was doing. Now, we could go on and on about the physical greatness, and I can make you guys more uncomfortable, but I won't. (laughs) Let's go deeper. Let's go to the emotional aspect of sex. Now, I don't know, personally, if there is another act in all of human existence that brings such deep and lasting intimacy as sex. When I first married Heather, I thought I knew her, but I didn't. I thought I knew her insecurities, her longings, her desires, but I didn't have a clue. But when we got married, and we had sex for the first time, and something changed. And as the years have gone by, and if we've continued to to love each other through that act, walls have come down. Some that I didn't even know were in my heart, but because I was able to love my wife in an intimate way like that, we were able to share an emotional intimacy as well. And there are things I've learned about my wife and things I still learn that I would never know without sex. We get to share more than just our bodies. We share ourselves. And then you go to the deepest level of sex, which is the spiritual. God made sex with a purpose. The act of sex represents the same intimacy That Jesus wants to have with us. An unreserved, unashamed, unconditional, intimate love. A love that's willing to stand naked before someone and say, look, this is me. A love that gives everything to someone. When God created sex, he intended it to be a beautiful picture of just how much he loves us and is intimate with us. And so why am I saying all this right? Why the graphic terms? Because sex is a good thing. So few Christians talk about sex like it's a good thing, and we end up treating it like it's some disease. But that's not how God sees it. God knew what he was doing, and he made it amazing. And so just ask the question again, is it a good thing? Is sex a good thing? Is it honey? Absolutely, it is. So then we've determined that sex is a good thing, right? We're all under that assumption it's a good thing. So then we go to the next part of the Scripture, which says, eat only What is sufficient? And here we ask the question, what is too much? Or what is the proper amount? Now that sounds funny, right? Like, what's the proper amount of sex I can have? Like, that's a weird question. But that's not too far from questions I've gotten over the years. In fact, probably the most common question I get is one that Katie mentioned last week, which is how far is too far, right? How far can I go before it becomes a sin? Now... I personally love when people ask me this question because it implies that there is a boundary. When someone asks this question, they know there's some boundary, right? And if we look at the Bible, God does have boundaries for sex, and that's marriage. Katie Sombrio let me borrow this book um, called Real Sex, and it was really awkward looking at it at work. I was, like, hiding the cover all the time. (laughs) But there's this quote in here, and she says, God created sex for marriage and within the morals of Christianity, it is impossible to defend sex outside of marriage. It is impossible to defend sex outside of marriage as a good thing and also call yourself a follower of Jesus. God's boundaries for enjoying sex rightly is marriage between one man and one woman. And he says that sex is only to be properly enjoyed in that context. Now, this doesn't mean that sex isn't going to feel good, right? It's, it's made to feel good. If you have sex outside of marriage, it's going to feel good. But it will not be enjoyed rightly. And there will be major consequences, as we'll see in the, in the third part of the verse. So then we ask the question again, what's the proper amount? Or maybe even a better way to ask it is, when is it okay to enjoy sex? The biblical answer is marriage. Now, there's probably a lot of y'all that are thinking, yeah, 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 like, I, I've heard that. I, yeah, sex outside of marriage, that's bad. But what about the other stuff? Like, like how far is too far, right? Like, if I don't have actual sex, is it okay? Like, like is making out, you know, laying down, is that okay? Is it okay for me to grab my girlfriend's butt or put my hand up her shirt? Or, like, ladies, is it okay if I put my hand down his pants or even outside of his pants? Like, is dry humping okay? Is oral sex okay? I mean, come on, guys. These are questions that I know y'all have all thought. How far is too far? And if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't, I don't believe this is the right question. When you ask, how far can I go before God is mad at me, you make him into this guy in the sky who's throwing lightning bolts at you when you mess up. And you're putting your integrity in serious jeopardy as you play with this very, very hard line. And I think a better question to ask is one that our friend Matt Springer says when he's talking about pleasure. He says, can I look Jesus in the eye and say thank you while I'm doing this? Not, not after the fact. It's easy to say thank you after the fact. It's a totally different thing to say it in the moment. While you're doing something you're not sure if you should be doing, can you look Jesus in the eye and say, thank you for this? God has boundaries for sex, and that is marriage. Not sex on the first date, not sex on the third date, not sex with your living partner, not sex when you're madly in love with someone, not even sex when you're engaged. God's God's boundaries are marriage between one man and one woman, and he says that it's only to be properly enjoyed that way, which leads us. To the third part of the verse. Lest you be filled with it and vomit. What happens when you have too much? What happens when you enjoy honey in a way that God didn't intend for it to be enjoyed? Well, the verse says we vomit. So what does this vomit look like? What happens when you have sex outside of God's boundaries? The short and simple answer is that you damage and break relationships. And the act of sex outside of God's boundaries, there are three relationships that are damaged. The first is with the person that you're having sex with, the second is with the people around you who care about you, and the third is with God Himself. Now, the first relationship that you damage when you have sex outside of marriage is with the person you sleep with, no matter how much you love them. Now, what I'm about to say, it's gonna sound very harsh. But I've learned from experience that it's true, and the Bible. If you have sex with someone outside of marriage, whether you claim to be a Christian or not, not, this is not exclusively to Christians, if you have sex outside of marriage, you do not really love the person that you're sleeping with. You do not love them. As many of you guys know who were here last year, um, I told y'all that when I got married, I was not a virgin, and I know all too well that this is true. At the time that I was with my girlfriend, I thought I loved her. I actually, I was convinced that I loved her, but as I look back now and I have truth before me, I know that I did not really love her, and the reason that I didn't love her was because I gave her something I had no right to give her, me. When you have sex, whether inside or outside of marriage, the act of sex, in the Bible it says that this, it's this Hebrew word called ikad. And it means to be fused at the deepest level. It's something that cannot be broken apart without leaving bits of your soul on someone else and bits of theirs on yours. You see, the reason why sex outside of marriage is not love is because it is effectively saying, I am willing to give you this much of me and take this much from you, but not the rest. It's, it, it's saying, I will share the physical with you, but not the financial, not the social, not the real emotional, not the spiritual. I, it, it's, it's saying, I will give this much of me, and that's it. And that, my friends, is not love. That is selfish. Sex outside of marriage is saying to God, I know better than you even though he's the one who created it. But sex doesn't, outside of marriage, doesn't just stop there, right? This honey that you enjoy wrongly doesn't just stop there. It goes on and starts damaging the relationships with the people around you. As I said, you know, I wasn't a virgin. It was my freshman year in college that this happened, and... (laughs) I was a lot like m- many of you guys in the room, right? I loved Chi Alpha. I was in a small group. I'd given my heart to Jesus. I mean, heck, I had literally finished leadership training class. I had finished. I was going to be a small group leader. But the whole time, I was fooling around with my girlfriend and hiding my sin from the very people who cared about me most. And do you know what happened when I hid my sin? It made it impossible for me to really have a a deep even remote not even really a surface level relationship because I was hiding it right when we hide our sins from people we start sowing distrust and dishonesty in a relationship and it drives a wedge that makes it impossible to really have a real relationship with someone Guys, my single greatest regret from college is not actually, my first year of college, is not actually that I lost my virginity. It's that I did not know the guys in my small group, and especially my small group leader. And the reason is because if you ask me now, my small group leader, John, is one of my greatest heroes. I still text him all the time. But for the first year of our relationship, I didn't know him at all. I barely knew him because I was keeping secrets from him. And it wasn't just him, it was everyone else. I didn't have anyone that I was close to my first year because I was hiding from everyone. And all of my relationships with people were detrimentally affected. But then more than that, more than the relationship with my girlfriend, more than the relationship with my friends, my relationship with Jesus was damaged. It's like what Jordan talked about a couple weeks ago, right? I got complacent, I got okay enough with my sin and so there was no growth, right? I just, I just stopped in place. There was no warmth to my relationship with God. He loved me. I know that. But because I continually enjoyed a pleasure outside of the way he intended it, he, he, he removed the sense of his presence. And that whole time, I, know, I didn't feel the Lord. I didn't feel him close to me. He was, but I didn't didn't have a rich, deep relationship with him. Enjoying pleasures outside of God's boundaries is a spiritual vomit that just ruins relationships. Which, if you remember from the question at the beginning, is the very thing that we're fighting for. And I can, at the end of the day, guys, at the end of the day, a momentary pleasure is not worth it. In regards to what we're fighting for. It's just not worth it. So just going back over, scan back through what we've said, right? So sex, it's a good thing, right? It's it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing that God made, right? But he says, God says that it should be done a certain way, right? So in this case, like, have you found honey, right? You're in a room and sex is about to happen. You're like, oh, I don't have a ring. I'm not married. Run away, Like, don't take it, because if you do, there will be some very messy vomit. I know, I know from experience, guys, it's not worth it. It's not worth it for what we're fighting for. Now, I know this is like not a clean transition, but before we kind of wrap up tonight. I don't, I'm not ending on a sad note, I promise, or a heavy note, but I do want to talk about one more pleasure that I really do believe that Jesus put on my heart to talk about, and that's drinking alcohol. I feel like the Lord was really leading me to say this because it, again, is something that Christians do not t- like talking about, but I think we have to talk about it, especially with our college's reputation. So, we're going to look at the breakdown. We're going to go quicker through this, one, right? So is drinking alcohol honey? Is it a good thing? Well, I'm just going to read some Bible verses to you and let the Bible speak for itself, okay? So here's some, some more positive light that the Bible says. So Psalm 104, 15 says, Wine is to gladden the heart, oil to make the face shine. First Timothy 5:23, Paul tells Timothy to drink wine medicinally. He's got stomach ache, right? And Titus 2, 3 It says the elders must not be enslaved to wine, which implies a moderate use. And then you got, you know, Jesus himself turns water to wine, and I don't think he did it for a magic trick, right? Like, I'm assuming he intended for people to drink it, right? They said it was the best wine. They saved it for the end. But for every positive thing that the Bible says about alcohol, there's more warnings, right? Not negative, but warnings. So Ephesians 5, 18 says, do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Hosea 4:11, old wine and new wine take away understanding. Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And then Proverbs 23, 30 through 35 is probably the most in-depth. It'll be up on the screen. It says, those who linger over wine, who go to the sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red. When it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, in the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on the top of a mast. They hit me, you will say, but I am not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? So, ask the question again, is alcohol honey? Honestly, guys, the short answer is that it can be. It can be a good thing. But the Bible never explicitly says that drinking alcohol is straight up a sin, but it also never says, oh, go ahead, it's encouraged, right? The Bible is just not absolutely clear on it. But as with sex, there are still boundaries and there are still consequences. So then the next question, what is the limit, right? What's the proper amount well biblically the limit is drunkenness drunkenness is a sin no questions asked it's listed in in the list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God and nowhere in the bible does it ever talk about drunkenness positively let alone even neutrally the bible is emphatic that drunkenness is a sin it's the limit So then the limit is drunkenness, which leads us to the final question. What happens when you have too much? You vomit. Like like literally, but also spiritually. And it's this vomit, the spiritual vomit, that ruins relationships. Guys, but alcohol, it's a little different than sex. Like sure there's the obvious fact that like some really poor life decisions have been made while under the influence. And quite a few friendships have been ruined because of it. But alcohol is funny. It's different than sex. Because even if you don't get drunk, relationships can still be damaged by drinking alcohol. As a Christian, probably the most common question I get with drinking is this. What about people who drink casually but don't get drunk, right? What about the people who enjoy a glass of wine with dinner or a few beers on Friday to cool down? They're not getting drunk, So, is it a sin for them to drink? And just like the question of how far is too far, I just don't think this is the right question to ask. I think the better question to ask in regards to casual drinking is this. Is it worth it for what we're fighting for? Romans 14, verse 19 through 21 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food or wine. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat or drink anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Guys, what we do communicate something to the people around us and so the question is what do we communicate to the people that that we're fighting to disciple right the people that we're trying to give a of a good example to what do we communicate even if we drink casually right if people that we disciple go out and party and get drunk are you going to have weight to speak into their life if you drink casually will people be able to understand you rightly is it worth it now i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to tell you what you have to do i just want you to ask this question of yourself is it worth it is it worth it for what we're fighting for now guys we could go through this verse this this uh Proverbs verse, with any type of pleasure, right? We could do money, we could do food, humor, good grades, video games, TV shows, working out, popularity, you name it, right? Is it honey? If it's yes, that it's honey, okay, cool, how much is enough? And then what happens when I have too much? Now the band, you guys can go, okay, go ahead and come up, and I just want to say this, God created pleasure to be just that. Pleasure. And the things that God created, He calls good. But God has a way in which He wants us to enjoy His pleasure, right? And if we're going to be honest with ourselves, most of us don't know how to enjoy our pleasures the way God intended them, right? We watch Netflix for way too long, and then we wonder why we don't have any friends. Some of y'all are laughing because you know that's true. Right? We take too much of a pleasure that God intended for good, and we end up vomiting it out shortly after. We don't even get to enjoy it. And in doing so, what we ultimately end up doing is damaging the relationships that we have with others and with God. Just think about video games. You play way too much video games. You don't have a relationship with Jesus or with people. They get damaged. But guys, God wants to change that tonight. There are some of you in this room who are probably thinking, man, I've never drank, and I'm not going to, and I have not had sex, and I won't until I get married. But I do not want you to think that this sermon isn't for you. This sermon is completely for you. It's for you because you are called to be a light to this broken world. There are people who struggle, some serious struggles, and I'm not making light of these struggles. But your job is to say, no, nah, this, doesn't, this doesn't matter to me. But no, your job is to say, I'm going to take this truth. And I'm going to fight for people. And then there's a lot more of you in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about with pleasure. Whether it be sex, or drinking, or video games, or food. Anything, right? Any of these pleasures, you know you've been enjoying them wrongly. The Lord is prodding at your heart. He's pointed out something that he's like, hey, you're not enjoying this the way I intended it. And for you, the response tonight is simple. To confess and repent. The Bible says whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. And, you, and it also says your sin will surely find you out. Our sin will destroy everything that we hold dear. When we hide it and pretend it's not as bad as it is our enjoyment of pleasures outside of God's boundaries will ruin the very relationships that we seek to build with each other and with God. But the Bible also says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive them. Jesus is calling us to repent tonight. He's calling many of you to repent tonight. <laughs> to repent from your sins, to confess to God that you're wrong, and then to walk in obedience to what he says is right. Our primary responsibility tonight, guys, is to confess to God and to turn to him. But then there's some of you, which I'm believing, I'm saying this because I really do believe the Lord, is. there's at least one of you, that you're going to have to take one more step, and you're going to have to confess your sin to the very person you've sought so hard to hide it from. The person you're most afraid to tell, the person you don't want to let down. And the reason you're going to have to do this is because your relationship with that person is worth far more than your reputation. And this will not be easy. This, in fact, it's going to be incredibly hard. I know from experience because the Lord told me, he said, Sean, you've got to confess to your small group leader. I didn't have a good relationship with him, but I was terrified of what he'd think of me. And it was one of the hardest things I ever confessed to him. But it changed our relationship forever. In fact, it was (laughs) two days after I had confessed to my small group leader that I would slept with my girlfriend. I ended up breaking that relationship off. And so I turned to the only person who seemed to care, which was John. And we ended up spending the greater part of 12 hours on a Saturday playing Marvel Heroes on a PS2, eating five guys, talking about his mission trips that he'd been on, And guys, in 12 hours, I knew John better than I had known him in nine months because there weren't any secrets. My relationship with John changed forever, and then ultimately, my relationship with Jesus changed forever because, right, we do this together Guys, we are fighting for something special. We are fighting for relationships that change people's lives. Many of your lives are changed because someone said, hey, I want to be your friend and I want to introduce you to Jesus. Guys, we are fighting to love a campus that doesn't care about Jesus. We are fighting to fill this room that is far too big for us with people that are passionate about Jesus. We are fighting for the very thing That Jesus himself died for. And yes, it is hard to be a pure and holy follower of Jesus. Yes, it is hard to confess your sins to God and to the people that you don't want to let down. And yes, it is hard to turn from your sin. Especially when it feels so good. But it's worth it. It is worth it for this special thing that we're fighting for called relationships. It is worth it to enjoy a pleasure the way God intended and and not go outside of what He said. So if the Lord is speaking to you tonight, please, please don't ignore His voice. Let Him work in your heart and be obedient. Let's pray. Jesus, Thank you for tonight, God. I just pray right now, Lord, one simple prayer. That you would take information and you would turn it to revelation that would then become transformation. Let what we've heard become revealed in our hearts, God, and then let it transform us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us. Lead us to your feet. We love you, Jesus. Amen.